he talked about going to church and, and they changing the words on the song and he'd be singing all of a sudden the words would be different and, and he'd about break his neck. <laughs> Don't, did, you, did you like Bill Cosby back in the day? I always thought one of the best ones I ever saw was Noah. <laughs> you remember that? Noah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I always thought that was great. Some of you don't have any idea about that, and I understand that you think he's a pervert, and he could well be. I don't know. Uh, he may well be. I have no idea. But if you go on YouTube, you can pick up some of that. It used to be really clean humor, and there wasn't cussing, and it was a little different now than what it is. You know, I'll just be really honest with you, because every other word is cuss words now, it seems like. All right, if you get your Bibles, we're going to look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, so I hope you'll turn there. Last couple of weeks, Brian's been teaching out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we found a church with the right stuff, and tonight we're going to look at the right kind of leadership in the church, and we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about that. Spend a little bit of time, leadership that works, I think, is the name of our, is that close to the name of what you got? Works guaranteed. There you go. All right. Now, if you got your Bibles, we're just going to look at a couple of verses and then we'll get into it a little bit more as we move down through there. All right. Did you bring your Bible tonight? I hope so. You got something to write on, I hope, because I'm going to tell you what some of the words mean is to help you understand it a little easier, I think, if you will do that. I'm sure it will. The Bible says, for you yourselves, brethren, know our entrance unto you was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit nor of uncleanliness nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not to please men, but God, who trieth our hearts, for neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have become burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But in contrast, we were gentle among you as a nurse that cherishes her children, and affectionately desirous of you that we are willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable to any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. And your witnesses, God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. For you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that you, to, that you would walk worthy of God, who's called you into his kingdom and his glory. Leadership that works. I'm going to read you a little something I thought was pretty clever. It's entitled, How Much Is That Preacher? 
Good morning, madam. May I help you? Yes, please. I'd like to buy a minister. For yourself or your church? Oh, for my church, of course. I'm already married. Well, did you have a particular model in mind? I've got a description from the candidate committee right here. We want a man that's about 30 years old, well-educated with some experience, a good preacher and a teacher, a balanced personality, serious but with a sense of humor, efficient but not rigid, good health, able to identify with all age groups, and if possible, sings tenor. <laughs> sings tenor? Well, we're short of tenors in the choir. Well, that's quite a list. How much money do you have to spend? Well, the committee says 9000 to 9500 tops. Hmm. Well, perhaps we'll start in the bargain basement. Tell me, how much is that model in the window? You mean that one in the Pendleton plaid suit and the gray suede dung, dune boots? Yeah, that one. Well, he's a dream. He's our Princeton model number 467. He has a PhD. He has AKC papers. AKC Papers, well, that's the American Koinonia Council. He sells for 16000 plus a house. Wow, that's a little rich for my blood. What about that model over there? Well, this is an exceptional buy. Faith number 502. He's a little older than 30. He has excellent experience. He's aggressive. He's got a good heart. Has the backing of sermons, two of which have been printed in Christian lenders. He's not bad. Can you... Tell me something about his bald head. Miss, Mrs. Penner especially insists that our minister have some hair. Madam, all of our ministers come in a variety of hairstyles. I'll keep that in mind. Now let me show you Olympia number 222. Four years in varsity sports at the Brass Ring College. Plays football, basketball, volleyball, ping pong. Comes complete with sports equipment. What a physique. He must weigh 200 pounds. Yes, indeed. You get a lot for your money with this one. And to think that he can do that with the young people. Great. But how is he at preaching? Well, I have to admit he's not much. But you can't expect good sermons in a church-wide athletic program, too. I suppose not. Well, let me show you Fresno number 801. Now, here's a preacher. All of his sermons are superb, well-researched copious anecdotes, and there's always three points. And he comes with a full set of religious encyclopedias at no extra charge. You get the whole package for $8,300. He's wearing uh, awfully thick glasses. Well, for $220 more, we can put in some contact lenses. I don't know. He may study too much. We don't want a man that's in his office all the time. Well, how can... This minister, how about this minister over here? He comes with managerial experience. He's trained in the business operations at Beatitude College. He's adept with committees. He gets his work done by 1130 every morning. His tag says he's an IBM 400. Ma'am, you have a discerning eye, innovative Bible methods. This man will probably revitalize your church. I'm not sure our church wants to be revitalized. Have you got something a little less revolutionary? Well, would you like somebody with a social worker type? We have this ghetto number 130. This man with the beard, he's good, he's gracious. Mrs. Penner would not go for that. How about empathy number 41C? His forte is counseling, very sympathetic, he's patient. He's good with people that have problems. 
Well, everybody in our church has problems, but he might not get out and visit new people. We really need a man that does a lot of visitation. You see, all the people are very busy, and yes, I understand. I want a minister that can do everything well. That's it. Have you got anybody like that? Well, I'm thinking in our back room we have a minister who was traded in last week. He's an excellent man, but he broke down after three years. If you don't mind a used model, we can sell them to you at a reduced price. Well, we hoped for somebody that was brand new. We just redecorated the sanctuary. We want a new minister to go with it. And of course, with a little exterior work and a fresh suit, this man will look like he, he just came out of the box. No one will ever know. Let me bring him out and let you look him over. All right. Honestly, this minister shopping is exhausting. It's hard to get your money's worth. Tell me, do you also give green stamps with this contract? Well, no, but there's a dissatisfaction after six months. We send a new congregation for the balance of the years. That normally takes care of the problem. <laughs> now, don't you think that's kind of clever? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> like John Bowman. Well, we're looking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 tonight. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul. I really don't think that this church or any other church that I know of would call Paul as their minister. I don't think you could handle the strain. I really don't. The Apostle Paul was quite the guy. How many would agree with that? And he was quite the leader. There's no doubt about that. When we're talking about leadership, let me give you a couple of comments about leadership. First of all, I think the best way to define leadership is the word influence. If you had to give me two words, I'd say it's inspiring influence. Uh, something that's inspiring about watching somebody who uh, can lead people. And leadership, I think, is really difficult. But let me, let me talk to you uh, maybe a little bit about a clarification. There's a lot of different styles of leadership. Not everybody's the same. Not everybody acts the same way. Not everybody motivates the same way. All kinds of different leaders. Some are hands-on, some never raise their voice, some are cheerleaders, some are excellent communicators, some rarely speak, they act. But effective leaders have different kinds of temperaments, and one thing for sure is they get the job done. We're going to talk about Paul's leadership tonight, and we're going to talk about this great church at Thessalonica. So let's start by talking a little bit about the characteristics of Paul's leadership. Now, as you read the verse, he says in chapter 2, verse 1, for yourself, brethren, know. Now, he's going to say stuff like that all throughout this passage. For example, back in chapter 1, verse 5, look back there just for a second. He says, our gospel came not unto you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost with much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. He's talking to people that knew him. He's talking to people that were in that church when Paul was there for three weeks. He started this church in three weeks. Does that blow your mind? And Paul says there's certain things that you know. Verse one, he says, you know our entrance. We saw that just a moment ago. Drop down if you would at verse number two. But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, He's going to talk about Philippi. Philippi was the place he was at before he came to Thessalonica. 
Evidently, Paul was so mistreated and abused, he told him the story. We'll look at that in a moment. But he says, you guys, you know that. Look over to chapter 3. I'll show it to you some more, all right? Look at verse uh, number um, 3. He says, no man should be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know. Now, what he's talking about is there are certain things he taught him while he was there. There's certain things that he sat down with those believers in Thessalonica in three weeks and said, there's certain things that you know, certain things that I said while I was there. If you look in verse number two, chapter four, he says, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Isn't that interesting? You say, pastor, how could Paul give commandments by the Lord Jesus to this church in Thessalonica? Well, did you ever stop and think about it in the early part of the book of Galatians that Paul said he was on the backside of the desert and was taught the gospel of grace for about six months by none other than Jesus Christ? How'd you like to be personally tutored by Jesus Christ for six months? Wouldn't that be something? So there are certain things that Jesus told him that Paul told them. That's what he's talking about. So I gave you some commandments. But my point is simply this. There are things that he told these believers in those three weeks that he's bringing up in the book. He said, you know I told you about this. You know I mentioned this. You know that we discussed this when I was with you. This isn't new stuff. I'm kind of reiterating what I've already hashed through with you. You know this. I told you that. So Paul comes to this church and he begins to give them in his characteristics of leadership, kind of a context. He says, there's certain things that you know. I want you to remember that. I don't want you to forget that. That was important. When I told you those things, when I was with you, don't forget that. You know that was true. And look at what he says in this chapter here, chapter two, verse one. He says, you know that our entrance unto you, it wasn't in vain. I didn't waste my time. When I came and started the church in Thessalonica, you guys know that God's spirit was there, that people got saved, and it was an exciting time. And in three weeks, we got a church off the ground. You guys know that my entrance wasn't a waste of time. It wasn't in vain. There wasn't anything other than colossal success. It wasn't a a failure by any stretch of the imagination. And so Paul says, you guys know this. You you know that my entrance wasn't hollow. It wasn't fruitless. It wasn't in vain. There's substance to it. You know that what we did at that church was worth worth uh, understanding. Now look at verse two. But even after that, that we had suffered before. Now he's talking about Philippi. And he said, we suffered at Philippi. And he said, we were shamefully entreated. Now let's go back to Acts 16 because we might as well pick up the story in Acts 16. So go back a couple of chapters and we'll look at Acts 16 because I'll show you Philippi. When Paul went to Philippi, ooh, think there's something exciting there? I don't know if I know the, my notes well enough to do it in the dark. <laughs> I, I think I could explain you the verses, but I'm not sure I could read my notes, that's for sure. Uh, when, he, when it talks about Philippi, Philippi is a, is a Roman colony. Philippi was like Rome. It was named after Philip. And, and, and when Paul went there, 
He started that church in Philippi with three converts. There was a gal whose name was Lydia. She was a seller of purple. Now, if you don't understand what a seller of purple was, you got to remember, uh, Larry Hansen's got a white shirt on tonight. Now, that's the way cloth would come in those days. It would be a, white, a whiteness to it. And if you wanted a colored shirt, you had to dye it. And what they would do, a, color of, uh, a seller of purple would take a rope, about yay long, and they would take a, like a, a mussel, an oyster. How many know what an oyster is? All right. And they would open it up, and the, the head of that oyster was one drop of purple dye. And they would put it on that rope. And if you wanted to have your clothes any other color than white, you would go to a seller of purple and they would cut that rope and you'd put it in with your clothes and you'd dye your clothes. And so here you got Lydia. She's a businesswoman. She's an entrepreneur. And they start the church down by a riverside. They start the church in a Bible study with a bunch of women washing their clothes. That's probably what it was. And he meets this gal named Lydia, and the Bible says that Lydia gets saved, and it was pretty cool. Now, that's the church is off and running with one particular gal. And by the way, isn't it amazing that God would bring a gal who was a businesswoman who probably had some wherewithal that could afford to go buy these uh, sellers of purple. She could go to a foreign country and buy this stuff. So she was a person of means. God brought the right person to start the church because you always need money when you start a church. I'm not being ugly. It takes money after you have one too. But anyways, uh, you, you, you got this seller of purple. And then there's a gal that starts following him. And she's a demonized gal. And she goes along and she begins to compliment the Apostle Paul. Basically, she would say stuff like, you need to listen to this guy. He knows what he's talking about. And that goes on for a week or two. Maybe she's like a stalker. You know what I mean? And she's running her mouth. And finally, Paul gets tired of it because he perceives that she's demonized. It's a demon that's talking through her. And so finally, he turns around and he casts the demon out of this gal. Now, the problem was she was a soothsayer. She was a gal that told fortunes. And when he took the demon out of that gal, the owners of this gal, she was a slave girl, they got upset, bent out of shape because they, he did away with their, with their ability to use his fortune telling, all right? So they get hacked. And by the way, they go around and they begin to make a mob. And the mob comes against the Apostle Paul. And if you go back and read chapter 16, I'm not going to read it to you. You can read it yourself, all right? And by the way, you should read it because it's a great book. You would love that chapter. It's beautiful. Anyways, uh, they bring this mob against the great apostle Paul, and they make anti-Semitic remarks towards him, and he basically say that this Jew is trying to change the whole world, and they end up bringing him before magistrates. Luke says magistrates with an S. History proves that every one of these Roman cities had two. He was correct. Isn't that great? Don't you love the authenticity of the Bible? Don't you just love little facts like that that tells you that Luke knew what he was doing? By the way, remember, Luke's a doctor. Luke's a very precise kind of a guy, and he's a pretty fair historian because he writes the Gospel of Luke, and he writes the, the book of Acts, okay? He writes the whole story of Jesus, and then he writes 30 years of history for the church, Right? Come on, I'm working hard up here. At least smile at me once in a while. Give me some, give me some uh, affirmation out there, all right? 
So anyways, uh, this mob takes him to the magistrates. The magistrates throw him into jail after they've beaten him with rods. Bible says they laid many stripes on him. I don't know if you know what that means in the scriptures to be beaten with rods. Rods were usually pieces of sticks about this long, about that big around. And they'd get a guy and they'd put his bare feet out like this and they'd take those sticks and they'd go on his bare feet, on the underside, not on the top, on the bottoms of the soles of your feet. And they'd do that. And they said that many times when a person was beaten with rods like that, they would hobble sometimes as much as six or eight months because they couldn't walk. You could tell somebody that had been beaten with rods. They throw them in jail in stocks. And the Bible says that they start singing about midnight. God evidently knew the tune. And if you read the story, he sends them a huge earthquake and the cells pop open. How many remember the story? And the jailer's about ready to kill himself. And Paul cries out. He said, do yourself no harm. And the guy rushes in and he says, sir, what must I do to be saved? And the next convert in the book in the church at Philippi is saved. You got a, a woman that's demonized who's got the devil cast out of her. You got a girl that's a seller of purple and now you've got a Philippian jailer. He goes home, his whole family gets saved and the apostle Paul baptizes them all in the same night and the church is off and running with those converts. Isn't that cool? Now, when he talks about being shamefully entreated, he's talking about Acts 16 when he was beaten with rods. When he talks about when he went there and he came to him, and by the way, he may still have been hobbling. He may still have been limping. And the great apostle Paul comes into Thessalonica to start a church, which he accomplishes in three weeks. And he says, you guys remember, he said, I told you what happened to me down there at Philippi where I was shamefully entreated, as you know. But we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God which with much contention. Now, what would be the average person's response if somebody beat you with a rod? How many think that boldness would be the normal response? I think it'd probably be keep your mouth shut. I think it'd probably be that didn't work real good in Philippi. I think I'll keep this quiet. But when he comes in the next town, man, he's still fired up. And he says, I came and I spoke with boldness. And there were people there that were contentious. There were people there that didn't like what I said. There were people there in Philippi that didn't, that Thessalonica that didn't approve of what I was saying. It didn't stop me. He said, I came and I preached with boldness. Now, look at verse number three. You ready? He said, our exhortation. Now, exhortation is an interesting word. Exhortation is the idea of uh, exhorting. Now, part of preaching is exhorting. Would you agree with that? Um, I prefer my way of doing it is I love to teach. Okay? I'm sure you've never, ever noticed that. But I have to, I really have to force myself to exhort. 
You say, Pastor, what is exhorting mean? It means you take what you teach and then you apply it and you say, all right, let's get with it. Exhorting means, all right, don't let what I've taught you go to waste. Exhorting means, hey, take what you've heard and put it into practice. Okay, so Paul says in this passage, he says, my exhortation was not of deceit. Now, let's understand what's going on. Now, stay with me for a second, because I need to try to I need to try to make sure you understand the context of Paul's ministry. When Paul went from place to place, he was followed usually by a group of people that were called Judaizers. There was a group that went all the way back to the church in Jerusalem that had a problem with all these Gentiles getting saved. By the way, look around, smile at each other. You're a Gentile. All right. Thank God they got saved or else we wouldn't be here. Would you agree? And they had a real problem with Gentiles getting saved. And the reason they had problems with them is because they thought that the, the, the gospel came to the Jews first. And if you were going to be saved, you had to become Jewish. And they'd go around and follow the Apostle Paul after he'd preach grace and he'd say stuff like this. Well, you know, uh, salvation by grace is great, but, by the way, be careful anytime somebody says that. Make your antenna go up. There's only one way to be saved. It's by Jesus Christ and it's by grace through faith. Are you listening to me? There's nothing that needs to be added. There's nothing that you got to do. It's Christ that saves us. You listening to me? And they'd come along and they'd say, all right, now if you're a Gentile, uh, probably what we need to start with is circumcision. So we're going to have a circumcision party next week and want all the guys to come. <laughs> eh, 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 eh. No thanks. No thanks. Now, once they got past circumcision, then they said, all right, let's get on the food. We've got to get this kosher food going. Certain things you can't eat, certain things you should eat. And by the way, you can't have anything that has meat that's not thoroughly cooked and boiled until all the blood is out. Because when you eat the blood, if it's bloody, you're eating the life of the flesh is in the blood. So you don't want to be eating the life of that animal. So what you got to do is you got to get like pastrami in a Jewish deli and you got to boil that rascal till they're just about tasteless. Now, some of you out there, you're Tennesseans, you have no idea what I'm talking about other than I like my steak like my shoes. <laughs> Tough and cooked, right? Now, I like mine bloody. Yeah, I like it bloody. I'm a Gentile. Sorry about you Jews out there. They, they had rules about church picnics. You can't have bloody meat at the church picnic. You Gentiles are coming down here and you're making it too bloody and we ain't going to go for that. It can't, it can't be like it's just been strangled. You got to go for it. You got to cook it. And they'd follow Paul in and these Judaizers would come into the group now, let me help you with something. Let, can I be your pastor for a few moments and you just listen to me and not get angry with what I say and just kind of say, well, maybe the pastor knows what he's talking about. Amen. He's not a total idiot. He's a partial idiot, but he's not a total <laughs> idiot. Did you know there's always groups of people out there that will come in with deceit? 
I've pastored a long time and I've seen some people come into a congregation. I've seen some come in because they were looking for a place to find new suspects to take advantage of. I've seen that. They had a business deal. They were looking for investors. They came in to rip off Christians. By the way, Christians are gullible. Come on, smile at me. Christians actually believe it when another Christian tells them something. And they get taken advantage of. All right, if you're not amening right now, you're stupid and you're the one I'm talking to. You're the gullible one. There are people out there that come in very deceitfully. Jude, by the way, that's the book before Revelation. Jude was Jesus' half-brother. He had the same mom, different dad. You following me? His name was actually probably Judas. I know that's, I'd change my name to Jude too. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Judas talks about people that come into the church. He said they're, they're like reefs. They're like reefs out there in the harbor. He said they slip in sideways. They come in unaware or come in unannounced. They, they kind of slip into the congregation. And before anybody figures out what they're doing, he said they're already entrenched. He said they're deceitful. You better watch them. He calls them apostates. I've seen people come into congregations that had damnable heresies. And wanted to come in and change the, Harris, uh, change the, the doctrine of the church. And they wanted to bring this, this, this different doctrine in. By the way, that is important. What you believe is important, yes or no? And so he says, he said, I didn't come, I didn't come with deceit. By the way, he said, I didn't come with uncleanliness or uncleanness. Let me talk about that. Some of these teachers that would come through, and by the way, they had, most of the time they had credentials. They were a, a DD and they were a you know, M, MDiv and they, were, they had all these credentials, you know, and they'd come in and they'd flash their credentials and they'd say, boy, how smart are we? You, got, you ought to pay attention to us because look at how educated we are. And they'd come in and they'd get a following in the church and they'd begin to teach and then what, the reason they came in is because they wanted to live in unclean, uncleanliness or uncleanness. And it's the idea of sexual orgies. That's what the word means. They came in looking for women in the church that they could take advantage of. Now, I'm, not, I'm not being ugly, but every once in a while we read on the newspaper, we read on the internet, or we hear on the television about some preacher that's, done some despicable things, have we not? Yeah. He said, there's sometimes, he says, uh, when we came to you, he said, we didn't come with those people that come with a deceitful agenda, a deceitful uh, uh, ulterior motive. He said, we didn't come looking for girlfriends. He goes on. He said, we didn't come in guile. We didn't come in guile. You remember when Jesus was calling his disciples and, he, and he, he saw Andrew and he said, there is a Jew right there with no guile. Remember that? What's he saying? He said, that guy doesn't have any secret faults. That's a guy that's pure. 
That's a guy, what you see is what you get. By the way, not everybody's that way. Y'all listen to me? Paul said, you remember my entrance into you wasn't in vain. He said, you remember the way I came. He said, I didn't come with, with deceit. I didn't come with uncleanliness. He said, I didn't come with guile. By the way, that's a big deal right there, wouldn't you agree? If you're going to look for a preacher, don't you think those three things right there are kind of important? Come on, this is a yes, this is a no. How many would say that's important? Yeah, very important. Hugely important. He said, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but pleasing God. Let me give you another one of those characteristics, those things that, that negatively he said, I didn't bring with me. He said, I didn't come as a man pleaser. Hey, can I help you with something? Uh, this passage says that the person you need to please is God, not man. You know, the tendency... I learned this lesson when I was just newly in the ministry. I, I went to my first church and there was a guy that came to me one time and boy, he was upset about something that I preached. I mean, he was bent out of shape. And he said, I need to have an appointment with you on Monday. Now, I, I'll be real honest with you. I hate having appointments on Monday because that's my day off. <laughs> and I really, I really do hate doing it on Monday. Tuesday's great, Wednesday's is great, Thursday's is great, Friday's is great, Saturday's is great, but not Monday. I want to see you Monday morning at 8 o'clock. I went down to the church, and I was a young pastor. I was probably about 30 years old, and he said, I didn't like what you preached. And he said, I'm going to be really honest with you. He said, if you ever preach that again, he says, I'm going to take this church out of the will that I have, and they tell me I ain't got much longer to live, and if you don't start shaping up on your sermons, I'm going to write this church out of my will. Now, the question becomes, all right, who am I going to please? Amen. Am I going to please man or am I going to please God? But I'll be real honest with you. Trimming your sermons because you know somebody's not going to like it is really easy to do. You know somebody's got a problem in the church with a particular area, and so what do you do? You say, well, I need to use wisdom here. I don't need to really jump on that and write it into the ground. So I'll just kind of mention it in passing. Better be careful about who you're pleasing. Come on, you're listening to me? Let God be true and what? Every man a liar. Better be true to God. Look at the way this reads. I think this is amazing. And by the way, it really scary if you're the pastor. He says, we speak not as pleasing men, but God who trieth our what? <laughs> that means that when you get up and give your exhortation, like I'm doing right now, that God not only listens to what you say, but he looks at your heart to see why you said it. Well, I'm going to get so-and-so because they were a pain in my rear last week, so I'm going to burn their butt Sunday night when I get my chance. 
By the way, he knows that. I worked at a church years ago, and I knew on Sunday night, I, could tell, I told my wife on the way to church one night, I said, I'm going to get my buns burned tonight. I know it's coming. And when the preacher got done, I could stand up and take a bow. Everybody knew I got my burns, buns burned. Now, I'll be really honest with you. How many people, you, we, we got at least 100 people here tonight, wouldn't you say? If I burn your buns, one person, what about the other 99? Are you listening? Don't you think a good pastor is somebody that just tells the truth and lays it out there and teaches what the Bible says? Amen. Hey, bottom line is my exhortation shouldn't be to please you, but to please God. And by the way, he's going to be pleased because he's going to know because he's going to try my heart. He's going to see why I did what I do. Scary thought. Yes or no? Hmm. I'll bet you he's going to try your heart, too, just so I throw that out. I think we're all going to have the same problem. Would you agree? All right. Now, let's keep moving down through here. He says, we were allowed of God to be put in trust of the gospel, the good news, and we speak not as pleasing men, but pleasing God who tries our hearts. Neither at any time use we flattering words. When I was a kid growing, growing up, now I'm, I'm from California. How many will forgive me for that once and for all? Will you forgive me for that? Some of you, I say certain things and you go, oh, oh boy, I said California. You know? I can't, you know, it's really hard to get all that out of me. You know, you're raised a certain way and, and then, you know, for some reason God brought me here and so you get to hear a little bit of California, all right? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. When I was a kid growing up, we used to talk about, now I know this is horrible, so forget, how many are going to forgive me right now? Can you forgive me right now? We used to talk about brown nosers. Now, if you don't know what a brown noser is, I wouldn't sweat it. I wouldn't sweat it. And if you come afterwards, I'm going to let Brother Hevener explain it to you, all right? The scripture says in this, in this passage, he said, we didn't use flattering words. Isn't it amazing how we learn how to flatter somebody? To say what they want to say? To hear what they want to hear? Some rich guy comes to church. You say, Pastor, where do you get these stories? How about this one? This was in James chapter 4. A rich man comes to church, and they bring him in, and they sit him on the very front row in the best seat. And James, by the way, he's another brother of Jesus. Same mom, different dad. He says, these guys are your masters. These guys are your owners and your slaves, and they treat you like a slave all week Long, and then you bring them to church and give them the best chair. Have you lost your mind? Have you gotten what they did to you last week? Basically, he says, treat everybody medium. Not high, not low, treat them medium. Don't go around flattering the rich folks. Don't go around going to use another California phrase. I got to think of a better one. Don't go around saying in their ear what you think they want to hear. 
<laughs> there's, there's a lot of different phrases. But anyways, how many understand what I'm trying to teach? He said, I didn't come in using flattering words. I got a preacher friend. He's about the best I've ever seen at doing this. And he can run his mouth and run. And he, he's one of these guys that can talk and he's smooth and he can lay it on thick. I don't think he means a word of it. But boy, he can flat do it. You know, if you run your mouth for a living like I do, you can learn how to flatter. You can, you can pretty well figure people want to hear what people want to hear, and you can pretty well figure out how to say it. Now, there's nothing wrong with flattering your wife, fellas. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that out. Well, make sure you got that. I'm trying to think of all the illustrations I need to leave out right there. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Is Bev in here? All right, let's not tell her what I said. Is Harold in here? Oh, brother. There he is. He said, we didn't use flattering words, you know, as a cloak of what? Covetousness. Put the, put the word in your Bible, greed. As a cloak of greed. You're buttering somebody up. You're saying the sweet nothings in their ears. Why? Because you're working them. He said, I didn't do that. And he says, if you want to ask, if you really want to get close on this, he said, just like God tries our heart, he said, go ask God because God is my witness. You better be real careful when you start talking like that. Would you agree? I got five minutes and I still got about six more verses. I think we're going to have to kind of not get the whole sermon done. So you have to come back next week. Okay? Let me give you another verse and we'll look at verse six. All right, you ready? <laughs> Near, nor of men sought we glory. Every once in a while, you do something that embarrasses me. You'll stand and applaud me. By the way, that's the glorification of the worm. That's all that is. But you know what? There's something deep inside me that says, sit down, keep it coming. Sit down, keep it coming. Come on, you're smiling at me? That glory's good stuff, isn't it? Come on. Well, yeah, I understand that. But the bottom line is this. The, the scripture says that my motivation should never be the glory and the praise of men. Because God tries the hearts. And, and God's the one that knows what really my motivation is and what my agenda is. Are you listening? He says... In this passage, he said, we didn't use flattering words. We didn't use a cloak of greed because we want to get in your wallet. He said, we didn't seek glory, neither of you nor yet of others. 
And he says, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Let's go through your list real quick. Let me look at your paper, Tony, real quick. Let me, let me give you some stuff here. Um, some of the negatives that he leaves out. Let me, let me give you this so that you get it written down in case that you're one of those people that really likes to write it down. Me personally, that doesn't bother me. But <laughs> some of you got a personality type that says, if I don't get all my blanks filled in, blankety blank. But anyways. <laughs> let me... <laughs> Let me show you a couple. Let me run down through here real quick, all right? Let me show you what, the, what, what, the, what we're talking about. First of all, he's going to talk about in this passage, he says that some negatives I've left out, number one is de deception. By the way, don't you think a pastor ought to be honest? Do you think deception's a bad deal, yes or no? All right, so that's the first one. The second one, he talks about uncleanliness and guile. That's having an ulterior motive. In fact, the teachers of Paul's day would come in and get orgies. That's what that's talking about. That's pretty wicked stuff, isn't it? If you go a step further, he says, we didn't do what we did because of, of um, for greed. In verse number five, he said, we, we weren't motivated by greed. We weren't motivated by glory. He goes down through this passage, he says, and then he makes this statement, and this is the one I'll close with, with two minutes left. He says, I wasn't burdensome to you as an apostle. By the way, let me just, let me give you a fancy word here. This probably doesn't matter to you, but let me give you a fancy word. He doesn't use authoritarianism. Authoritarianism. Now let's talk about that for a second. Being an apostle in the early church was huge. The Bible says that the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? Yes. This should be a yes. Would you agree with that? The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. And the pillars of the church were the apostles. Now, in the early church, apostolic authority, by the way, there is no such thing as apostolic authority in our day because we don't have 2,000-year-old apostles. When they died, that died. Are you with me? Yep. Paul says, when I came to Thessalonica, he said, I didn't throw my weight around. I didn't remind you that I was an apostle. Now, let me throw a couple of things out. Let's see how much we can make stick in the wall in the next couple of seconds here. To be an apostle in the New Testament, there were several different things that were unusual. First of all, you had to see Jesus while he was yet in his early ministry. Okay? Would you agree with that? What else did you have to see? You had to see Christ when he was resurrected from the dead. Those are the two major deals right there. Now let me ask you a question. Was Paul around when Jesus was in his early ministry? No. Did he see the resurrected Christ? How about Acts chapter 9? Did he see Jesus on the road to, to Damascus? Yes, he did. Now, I can say that on the first one, if you were taught for six months in an Arabian desert by none other than Jesus Christ, I'd say you got a pretty good firsthand ministry there. Would you agree with that? So I think he was qualified on both of those deals. But if you read on, and I don't have time to show you all of this, the early church also recognized some others, rightly or wrongly, I'm not here to discuss. That's not my, my problem. But... How many remember that Paul was going out with a guy named Paul and Silas? 
If you go to Romans, Paul refers to Silas as an apostle. Now, I don't, I wasn't there. I don't know how that came about, but there you'll find several people in the New Testament that were apostles that weren't the original 12. But to be an apostle, it was almost like, well, when I was a kid, we used to have a commercial. It was E.F. Hutton. When E.F. Hutton talks, you listen. Would you agree with that? And some of you have no idea who E.F. Hutton is, all you in the back, because you're too young. YouTube, it's your friend, okay? You can look it up. E.F. Hutton, bring it up, you'll see the commercials. When E.F. When e. Hutton speaks, you listen. Now, Paul says, when I came to Thessalonica, he said, I didn't come in there like an apostle. I didn't come in there throwing my weight around. I didn't come in there and say, hey, your job is to take care of me. Your job is to support me. When Paul went into a place and preached the gospel, one of the unusual things about the apostle Paul was that Paul did it for free. And he was a tent maker and he made tents. And he worked by day and preached by night, or he preached by night, or preached by day and worked by night. What do you know? But he supported himself, the Bible says, with his own hands so that, the, that he wouldn't be chargeable. Nobody would come along and say, well, you're just taking our money. Now, do you think that was the way to go? I don't, I don't think so, because he, got, he talks later on in Corinthians, he talks about Peter. Peter, who was married, would go places and bring his wife, and he says, you guys take care of Peter and his wife, and you won't pick up any of my expenses. I don't think there's anything wrong with taking their money. But Paul was saying that just because I don't want you guys to say the gospel comes to you at charge, he said, I never ever expected you to give me anything. I didn't come in like an apostle. I didn't come in showing you my strength and showing you how strong I was. He said, I left the authoritarianism that I rightly have. I never once used that on you. Isn't that interesting? All right, we're done. That's all we're going to do. Seven o'clock. Actually, it's two minutes after. Sorry about that. My wife's in the nursery, evidently. She's going to praise God that I'm shutting up now. It'll be a good ride on the way home. Come on, smile at me. I'll let you ride home with her then. She'll look at you and she'll say, What's your problem? Did you lose your mind in there? <laughs> Don't you ever shut up? All right, who's singing tonight? Who's singing? Don't we have, come on up. Come on up, man. We're going to have some more singing. <laughs> Fellas, come. Let's pa pass the plates. We're going to pray as they're coming. We'll get the show on the road, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless us now as we take up the offering. Thank you for the opportunity given to the church. Lord, we're grateful that this is a church that allows their pastor to teach the Bible just what it says. We don't have to smooth it, but we can just lay it out there and say, okay, here's what it means. Here's what it says. Lord, thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.